Good morning. God's grace and peace to all of you. Amen. So, a three-week sermon series on being set free from addiction. Uh, what, what's the genesis of that? How did that get started at our church? Pastor Herring and uh, Cynthia Scoggins and a few others that are always tirelessly working to help people on a Sunday afternoon with Hope and Healing, which is our, our place, our small group. If you feel like either your family's affected by addictions or you are, uh, wanted to get the larger church to embrace the truths of God's Word about this. And so it's kind of neat how that came together. So when he sat me down and said, let's do a series on this, and we put our heads together and said, if, if you limit it just to three, what would be the three big points? Because there are more than three points about getting help, right? And uh, we settled on what we thought were the three biggest. And the first one was two weeks ago. Do you remember? I don't remember sometimes what I preached the day before, so I don't expect you to necessarily remember. But the first one two weeks ago was God sets us free by leading us to confess our sins honestly and by clearly, completely forgiving it. Mercy coming in the face of honest confession, confession and absolution, which we do in church every Sunday, right? Um, the story was the woman that washed Jesus' feet with her hair, and she was forgiven of much, therefore she was thankful much. Then last week we talked about a new identity where Paul, the apostle, said, we look at ourselves and everybody else as a new creation in Christ. We don't look at ourselves based on our bad track record. And if you take both of those, confession and absolution and the identity, both of those have to do with having a Savior. A Savior who says, I can give you mercy and give you forgiveness. I've won it for you on the cross. You just need to be honest now and come and confess your sins because you'll never experience the grace of God unless you do that. That Savior teaches us that gospel, and then in teaching us that gospel, that Savior gives us a new identity. And the identity is based on Him and not on our performance, whether our performance we think is bad, guilt, or good, self-righteousness. So, I'm, what I'm trying to do is show you there's three messages, but they're really divided into two parts. The first one has to do with if you want to be set free from any, because addiction is, has a, a spiritual component to it. If you want to be set free, you have to have a Savior. And the second thing is today, you need His authentic community. And it's all over the Bible. We didn't just fabricate that, Pastor Herring and me. It's all over the Bible. And I feel very passionate about helping you embrace it, love it, champion it, and live in it. So you need a Savior, and you need His authentic community. And you need them both. So I want to take you on a walk through the Bible. Feel, it maybe will feel a little bit more like a Bible study, but uh, I want you to walk with me through the Bible as we, we let God show us the importance of living in authenticity with a community of believers, our church. Two weeks ago when it was my turn to preach, 
I started with giving you a little bit more of my family history. And on my part in my family history, I intimated that when the drinking age was 19, 18 I mean, and I was 18 to 19, I took full advantage of that. Not proud of that. But it's part of my story that helps me show you authentic community. I grew up in the Dallas area at a church about this size, a Lutheran church, with the same traditional Bible study, Sunday school, um, worship on Sunday, and a little bit during the week. And I grew up at that church. I didn't have a Christian day school to go to. I went to the public school. And uh, I grew up in a Christian family that was always at church and Bible class and Sunday school. It was just what we did. And when we, I got into the high school, college years, 18, 19, 20 years old, uh, through church events, my parents had started heading off to another local church, and I stayed at the church they raised me at, but I had just, a, just my pinky toe in the church. I'd be there like two Sundays out of a month. I quit going to any kind of Bible class, and I was driving and active, and Saturday night, I was a regular worshiper at the ranch house in Wiley, Texas. The ranch house is still there. Now the suburbs have grown up all around it. And I, I, I have so many good and bad memories of that place. My sister lives two blocks from it. So I end up going to see my sister. I drive by it. I used to have to drive like eight miles to get out to the edge of town to go to, what was it? It was a dance hall. It was my, it was, it was fast becoming my peeps and dancing, pool, and beer. And as a young man, I was sliding off the tracks. What happened? How did it all change? Authentic community at my church. Remember, I said I had a pinky toe in the church. We had a change of pastors, and then we got a staff minister, and they were very intentional about member ministry intentionally making sure that their members knew Jesus, were in the Bible, the Word of God, when the community got together, and they provided opportunities beyond what I had ever seen before growing up, small group Bible study. And the staff minister started a Saturday night. Remember where I told you I always was Saturday night? A Saturday night weekly Bible study in the fellowship hall for young adults. Had a fancy name, Young Adult Bible Study. <laughs> and he was relentless. Some of you have heard of Mary talk about her friend Tina. Well, her, Tina's husband, Kirk, was the staff minister. He's now a Lutheran pastor for 25 years already. But at the time, just drew us all in, forced us, confronted us, encouraged us, dealt uh, with me, dealt with that duplicity of being one person with this group and a different person at church, pushed me toward being authentic in the practice of my faith and repentant and forgiven and active in Bible study. For four years there, that authentic community was a place to go to have a people and something important, valuable, meaningful to do on Saturday night to replace my habit of being at that dance hall. And it saved my life. It saved my faith. It's a big part of my story that I, in 28 years, haven't told you. And it's a big part of who I am for practicing the culture of having a church that has 
small groups and Bible studies and, and, and opportunities for people to get together. So, turns out, that's the way it is at all churches, <laughs> for all Christians. If things are going the way they're supposed to go at church, from the leadership point of view, and if things are going the way they're supposed to go, from the member's point of view. So here we are. I'm a leader, and you're sitting and listening. So we need to talk about this, because this is our church. This is now. That's the past for all of us, right? We're living in the present. And the granddaddy of all isolation came into our world last March, COVID, which dropped an atom bomb even in our church that has a culture of small group authentic, authentic community, both on Sunday mornings and in small group, dropped an atom bomb so that the fear of getting sick and dying has in the plan to save the community, including ours, has become the priority that we all have to live with in the room regardless of how we feel about it. And it's, it's so I'm not preaching about COVID, I'm preaching about authentic community. But we have, this is a time in which we live, the right now, where we want to bear down and just let God teach us from his word to be the church that he wants us to be. So we help ourselves who are addicted. We are all addicted in some way. I don't mean like the medical term, but I mean spiritually speaking. We're addicted to either some kind of self-indulgence and or a kind of self-righteousness. We were born with it. We will die with it. We all have it. And the fact that we get together to hear preaching and to worship and confess and forgive and get together in any kind of smaller setting to study and pray and confront and comfort. It's all about confronting that thing in us that is indulgence or righteous, self-righteousness. And God says, it's been this way since Adam and Eve fell. I invented people to live in community authentically, and it's one of the sweetest things about creation. Um, I get so excited, 33, but I realize most people have a hard time tracking with Psalm 133. You may not even remember, but Pastor Herring just read it in church. Okay? But Psalm 133 says, nature, the nature, and think of, you know how I like outdoors, the nature on Mount Hermon, by the way, this is not the Bible verse on the screen, so just look at me. The nature at Mount Hermon which has dew the crisp morning. Today's a crisp morning, right? The crisp morning dew at Mount Hermon. It's like it's come down on Mount Zion where the temple is when people dwell together in unity. So you know how much you like to get away and get out in nature and experience a beautiful evening or morning, right? The other thing is true when you experience authentic community, it's as sweet as a beautiful walk in cool, crisp morning in nature. That's what he's saying. They have authentic community around the temple where there's a sacrifice and mercy and forgiveness and unity. Okay. Adam and Eve had that, I don't know, maybe for a day or a week. It wasn't very long. They fell into sin, right? But the verse, the, God invented us to have that. He wanted that to be part of our creation, to have the sweetness of closeness and intimacy 
and grace and mercy. He didn't need to forgive sin, but that kind of constant love. This is Adam. It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So t- I've imagined this, so I'm going to tell you today for the rest of the sermon. After I read a passage, I'm going to say, and all God's people said, and I want you to say, this is the word of God. So we're kind of interacting and keep you close, okay? So God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And all God's people said? Okay, the first community was a a man and his wife, but this was the beginning of all of community, right? They're going to have Cain and Abel, and there's going to be community come for them. God said that he wanted us to be in community with each other. Adam and Eve fell into sin. And so you know the story, how now they're hiding, which is the big problem. We're not authentic. We hide. We don't want to tell our story. There's a reason why I don't want to tell you my story from when I was 18, 19 years old. I don't trust you with it. It's a lot easier to tell it at 58 than or 57 going on 58 than it was when I was 38. Because I don't trust you with it. I don't want to be authentic with all of that. See what I'm saying? Adam and Eve had it. You have it. I have it. We're all careful with it. And God said, I will bring grace and mercy to bring the community of faith together. I am struggling to see that next verse. Oh, it's Psalm 68. Okay. God sets the lonely in family. He leads out the prisoners with singing. But the rebellious, I can't read the rest of the verse, but it's not the part I care about. He puts the lonelies in families. This is a psalm about all the ways to praise God for the way he blesses his people. You know, they're all, the Psalter is the hymnal, hymn, hymnal of the Old Testament worshipers. And this verse has just popped out there. I'm taking you on a walk through the Bible. God sets the lonely in families. He brings prisoners that the world's been wicked with and made them prisoners, and he brings them out with singing. He restores, as what the, the, David wrote this, David is saying, he restores people's lives. What does he mean, David. When he says, God puts the lonely in families. What he means is, God does not abandon someone who grew up in a terrible family with a terrible support group and terrible problems like addictions. He does not just leave them out there, but he actively will grab them and put them in a new family. He works with people that way. It's right there in the Old Testament. And you see it come to full fruition in the New Testament era in the church. All of these people from very broken lives, broken because of sin, hear the apostles in Acts, go to the next slide, in Acts chapter 2, you hear them getting together and they, they have left their homes to come celebrate the Pentecost. And Peter preaches this great sermon of sin and grace. And they come to faith in Jesus. And it feels so good to dwell together in unity that they don't want to leave Jerusalem. They had scheduled, come to Pentecost, celebrate the feast, go home. But it says they stayed. And since they stayed, they, uh, they, they what are you going to do with yourself? Well, I have this new community. That's the reason I stayed. I'm going to get it in the Bible here because I can read it. The screen, for some reason, isn't big enough back there. So it says in verse 42, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. These are 3,000-plus people that are from out of town, and they have stayed. 
And it says, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles and all the believers were together, everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who had need. Every day, here it is, they continued to meet together in temple courts. What for? They weren't getting COVID tested. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And God added to their number who were being saved. They ate together and they had glad and sincere hearts as they spent time in the apostles' teaching. Sounds to me kind of like a Saturday night young adult Bible study. We always, somebody always fixed dinner that night. Sounds to me like small group, connect group ministry. Sounds to me like forever young. Sounds to me like men's Bible breakfast. Sounds to me like hope and healing. It sounds to me like Tuesday night women's Bible study. And all God's people said? Actually, that wasn't. That was just, we'll say amen, but I got you. But this is the word of God, right? Acts 2. And the church has been that thing that God has for God's people and, and the people that he's redeemed through sin and grace, confession and absolution, and given them a new identity, and now they're in a family of believers. And now Psalm 133, dwelling together in unity, is fully realized around the sacrifice of the Christ, not a lamb at the temple, but the lamb of God on the cross. Or is it? Remember how I said I had a pinky toe in the church for a while? And I wasn't experiencing that. And here's my passion I wonder how many people who call themselves God's people that are still attached to the name Holy Word Lutheran Church only have a pinky toe in. And I wonder how the devil is ravaging their lives because they have fallen away from their passion for authentic community. And along came social media, which has a community of its own and then has a false sense of community of its own. And what I'm doing as, you, as a shepherd is I'm just trying to get you to work through this with me, meditate on it, and think about it. What does it mean to, to be set free by authentic community? It means to be in connection with God's church in a transparent, honest, humble enough way that you really deal with your stuff and your friends help you, and you help them deal with their stuff, and you do life together, and you live in Christ and in the Word of God. And it works. And you experience, I'm speaking, because we're talking about addictions, I'm talking a lot about reacting to the, and fixing the negative things in life. But it actually also has a very po- uh, many very positive sides. And one of them is in 1 Corinthians 12. So go to that next slide. God wants us to fit together. 1 Corinthians 12 is one of the big spiritual gift chapters of the Bible. Paul's writing the Corinthians. Remember, they all came from the, they had ranch houses on the edge of their town in Corinth. And they, they all came together and became a body of Christ. He was a missionary there for 18 months. He left. He was writing them this letter. They were gathered around the word of God and they had, and he says to them, you guys have spiritual gifts, but you're not all given all the gifts. Everybody's given one or two or three gifts. And this long chapter is talking all about spiritual gifts. And I took two excerpts from it. From it. And, it and he says, God wants you all to fit together. He gave the manifestation of the Spirit given for each, to each person for the common good. For the common good. Here's the point. It's like a, the church is like a big God-made jigsaw puzzle. Nelson likes to do jigsaw puzzles. 
Each of us has our own little appendages and our own little indentations, our spiritual gifts, and we all fit together. And we're supposed to fit together the way what? God wants to, but for what reason? For the common good. So pastor and elder go see somebody who hasn't been in church in a really long time. And they say in their house, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Don't you judge me. Well, why would you want to go to church according to this this chapter? Because the person with their hand on their hip has spiritual gifts. They're supposed to be sharing for the common good. It's one of the most self-centered things to say. You have to go to church to be a Christian. That wasn't the question on the table. Of course you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But if you're a Christian, you want to be in part of a body of believers because you have things you want to share. And they have things that fit together with you. Because this is what the Word of God says. And it's true, even if you don't feel it. And you will When you realize it, you'll ultimately feel it when you try to act that way, which is so silly that I don't have to be there and I don't have to go to church. You're part of an authentic community. You've got spiritual gifts. I've got spiritual gifts. But we live in a society that's addicted to not being involved. We think we're involved if we click like. That is not being involved. That's being being just an encourager. But you're not involved in a group just by saying like got to get in there with both feet. So 1 Corinthians 12 says authentic community is a passion that God has. And he gives people spiritual gifts and he wants them to fit together for their common good. Go to the next slide, please. Every Christian needs to be intentional. By the way, we just got to the sermon text, but we're just working through this. It's going to be about the same length of talk as the other verses, though. This is Hebrews chapter 10. And and during that era in my life that I've started with today to tell you about, this became like a John 3.16 for all of us in that Saturday night. It's, It's Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let me give you the background to the book of Hebrews real quick. The people called the Hebrews, in by the title of the book, are Christians who are of Jewish heritage. They have left Judaism to become Christians, and it's cost them a lot. Their families have ostracized them. They're feeling left out. They're being pressured to go back to Judaism, and they're being told that Christianity is a cult. And they're being told, you need to get back to the mainline Judaism because you're part of a cult. So the writer spends a whole lot of time saying, this is not a cult. This is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And some of the most beautiful Proofs that Jesus is the Christ, long promised in the Old Testament, are in Hebrews. Because he's telling Hebrew people who knew the Old Testament that Jesus is their Messiah that they were waiting for. He talks about Moses and Jesus, David and Jesus, and Joshua and Jesus, and the high priesthood and Jesus, and all these things. But the other thing that the writer to the Hebrews does in about five places, and this is one of them, is he gives them tactical insight on how to survive as Christians under community pressure to go back to Judaism, which would be to deny Jesus. Remember what he said? About five places, he gives them tactical wisdom on how to survive. And this one has to do with authentic community. And let us consider one another that we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as is the habit of some, 
and do it encouraging one another and do it so much more as you see the last day of the world approaching. That wor- those words, let us consider, are where I get the word intentionality. Remember how I told you a pastor and a staff minister were intentional? They were considering one another. And they were con- intentionally using God's word, this passage, to come to each one of us and say, we are considering you. We are thinking of you. We are looking at you. We know your name. We know you are. You're one of the family. We don't see you around that much. Why are you there every Saturday night at the ranch house? Can you explain that to me? Imagine having to answer that. <laughs> Why don't you come be with us some on Saturday night? Confrontation, comfort, and help and support and spurred us on to love and good deeds. You want to hear something fascinating? Little Lutheran Church, just like this one, out of that four years of study, nine men became pastors. That's amazing. And, that, and, and okay, that's just a sim- symptom, right? There were a whole bunch of other people passing through that one little Bible study that became active Christians again, or for the first time in their life. It's the place, it's the community, the authentic community that my dear bride, because we started dating during that time, had a, we had a place at our church for her to find Christian friends with her newfound faith so that she could survive. It wasn't just her boyfriend. But there was an instant community of authentic friends to be with. It's amazing when we consider one another to spur each other on. You know what spurring is, right? Spur the horse to get him to giddy up. We spur each other on to love and good deeds. We did life together. We loved each other. We knew each other's ups and downs. And we also helped other people in our church and our community helping widows and widowers and all kinds of other things. But it wasn't by program, it was by culture. It's what God wants. It's what He creates. And all God's people said about this passage, this isn't the word of dawn. This isn't the word of of just organized religion. This is God saying, you want to survive? Don't neglect meeting together. And here comes COVID. And the reason I say that is, we have to think this through, Christians. We can't just, just like lazily run down a path because we're, we're, we're getting feedback. We have to think it through. If I, okay, so if medically speaking, I don't feel safe in this, this kind of environment right now because of COVID, how am I still going to do that? That's that second half of that sentence as I'm talking about. How am I still going to do that? And it's time already now in the spring as the numbers go down to start thinking about what does small group ministry look like? Do we, do we actually just start meeting on Zoom? I know it's not as much fun and good and meaningful as meeting. I know some of you, like your teacher, you're sick of it all that week long, right? But we still have to be together, right? Do we do men's Bible breakfast in the fellowship hall on a weekday morning and we have somebody in the kitchen that makes food and brings it out and we all sit like 10 feet apart? Let's do that. Rather than nothing, right? So we have to, if we're going to grab onto these passages of Scripture and we're going to do what God wants because we want it, because we want to help each other with our addiction, addiction to self-indulgence or self-righteousness, we got to think it through. And if we don't do it one way, well, what way are we going to do it? 
everything that I have said today about the application, you and I, as thinking Christians, have freedom and responsibility to wrestle with, even not necessarily fully agree with each other on how the application plays out. What we don't have an option on, though, is following the Word of God to gather together and build each other up and intentionally keep track of one another and be a part of each other's lives as an authentic community. And truth be told, it is really, really important to the friends that we know that are struggling with addictions. They need, the doors of church need to be open. There needs to be a part of the church. Remember my story two weeks ago about a Connie that said the AA group met what that she needed, but the church wouldn't understand. The church does need to. We need to have authentic community for ourselves and for people that struggle with addictions. And that's why I praise and I'm excited about hope and healing. And it really is an underutilized blessing, even at our church. There's just right now four or five people steady coming to it. We could reach so many more. So put it on your prayer list. Be interested in what's going on. Encourage the people that are involved in it. Ask them how it's going or what we can do for them. And let's be a church that has an authentic community in every place. And then I'm going to close with just a, a little paragraph of... of uh, that comes from a devotion book that some of you have it. It's, the devotion book is at 365 devotions um, called New Morning Mercies based on Lamentations 3, that God's mercy is new every morning. And uh, just so happens that this morning's devotion, February 7th, features corporate worship. That's what we're doing right now. The church word for getting together for Sunday morning worship, corporate worship. And uh, his, his big verse is Hebrews 10, the one that I said was our flagship verse for today. And I copied a page out of there because I should have done the passages that way too for you, so you'd have to watch me struggle. But I got this verse, uh, this, this uh, daily devotion. And I, I want you to, this is what I want you to do with me. You'll enjoy this more, I think, if you just can listen and let me say what Paul Tripp was saying. And I'll just read it verbatim, okay? God is fully aware of the self-righteousness that lives inside of all of us. God knew that we would convince ourselves that we are okay when we are not okay. So he designed a means for us to be confronted again and again with the depth of our sin and the expansive glory of his provision in the person and work of the Lamb of God, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. What God ordained was that we would gather again and again in services of corporate worship. And when we were there, that we'd be confronted with our true identity as both sinners and children of grace. You see, when you understand that the free grace of God's provision of grace, you aren't afraid to admit to the depth of your sin. And it is only when you have admitted the disaster of your sin that you are excited about the grace of Jesus Christ. Corporate worship really does confront us with the fact that we are worse off than we thought and that God's grace is therefore more amazing than we could ever have imagined. We will continue to reminder every week 
until our sin is no more and we are with him and then like him in heaven forever. Corporate worship is not a thankless duty for the religiously committed. No, it's another gift of mercy from a God of glorious grace. See Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. And now all God's people said, Amen. Amen.